Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom Seekers class. My name is Stacy Maston, and if you have your teaching handout, you will see that we're going to do a study on the girding of the loins. It's mainly a study of the loins. That's that was my principal uh, search, um, and I was first really uh, keen on this particular study because I got a word last Saturday for first Saturday about girding up the loins of the mind. But I didn't think to study it at the time. I mean, I just gave my word and, you know, went about my, my day. And I've probably had, over the last couple of weeks, you know, half a dozen things that I chased down. <laughs> and, um, and none of those things really, I mean, they, they, were, they were excellent studies for me as they always are. But I really didn't see that they were really speaking the thing that I was feeling or sensing in my spirit. You know how that is. And so this past week in prayer, um, the Lord, I mean, I was kind of asking about what I was going to teach on. And, and he asked the question, what are the loins of the, what are the loins of the mind? And we've had a lot of discussion about these topics over the years, certainly with respect to the way we intercede and, and uh, the way we prepare ourselves as intercessors and warriors of the Lord. But that really piqued my interest, and I, I figured that the Lord was probably heading me down this path. So that's the, the backdrop to this study, and I really do believe that you know, if the Lord is highlighting this, there's a reason for it. There are probably things that are going to be coming up that we have to be spiritually prepared for. We have to learn about maybe the principles of girding up our loins. Um, and, and, and um, you know, it's never going to hurt to rehearse some of these things that we're already familiar with. Um, Pastor probably has not taught on the loins themselves, probably for over 20 years, because, you know, girding up the loins of our mind was probably a very, you know, elemental topic in the, well, it might have been elemental in the beginning, but, you know, it was one of those fundamental principles that we've all been pretty much schooled in. But we haven't really looked at this, I think, from this perspective. And so this is something that I think is going to be interesting for all of us. The first page is just the defining page, and I did it this way because it was quite extensive. You can see in the Old Testament there's at least four words that I found that um, are to gird up, that were, that were used in association with the loins, which there were also four that I found. Um, then the New Testament, you have peri, uh, xenomai, Anazonimai, and then just zonimai as a root word that is talking about um, the girding in the New Testament. Because we are going to do a study of the Old and New Testament today of these, of these terms. And they do all pretty much say the same thing. We know it's a belt. It's something that they wore underneath their robes or their tunics 
that they could um, then wrap their or stick their tunics in or wrap around so that they could actually, you know, uh, do things, do activities. And it became really a phrase that was used to prepare for something, to prepare to do something active. That is what, uh, and that's the way we use it too. To gird up your loins means get ready. <laughs> and in simplest terms, that's really what it means. I also gave the definition of the girdle because it's listed in a few of these passages and it's just there for your, your pleasure. But I did find it interesting looking at the New Testament word that the girdle is, um, has an, a more expansive definition. It's not just a belt or a band that goes around your waist, but it speaks of being joined by a yoke, a coupling. It implies servitude. And it also um, is used once to describe scales, the beam of the scales when you're, you're weighing um, two different things, a balance. And then the other thing that I want to, to uh, point out to you is that first word, shalots, in the Old Testament. And as opposed to meaning, um, you know, just the, the area where this is located, it actually is defined as a strength, is defined um, as a root word, as a verb to arm or equip, to prepare for battle. And so these things are, you know, they, they really are a, a, um, an important part of the definition of the part of the body that we're gonna be discussing today, the loins. So I gave you a little bullet point also for ease of reference, just to show the different things that the loins actually represent. When you're talking about the loins, and this would also refer then to the loins of your mind, because whatever you're discussing, this particular aspect of the mind that represents or that you know, has to cooperate with what's going on here, that's what the loins of the mind are. They also have to be girded up because your mind, of course, is at enmity with the things of the spirit. So to gird the loins of the mind basically means you have to, you know, you got to bring that into check. That's not going to, you can't follow ever willy-nilly thought and um, even your own disputations against what the Lord is doing or just the, just the way that we mentally struggle with the plan of God. And we have for the last 25 years, you know, that's been what the Lord has been working in us is coming to terms with that point of agreement with the plan of God, no matter what it looks like. And, uh, and the plan of God, of course, we know it, it absolutely comes against most, most of the things that are going on inside of us because it's not ever going to line up with your own agenda and your own desires. So all of those things have to change and all of those things are processed in your mind. So let's look at these, these bullet points. I'm just going to go over them quickly, and then we're going to get into the word. So we see that the loins is the seat of our core strength and vigor. And physically, anybody who does anything um, working out or any point of physicality, this is where your core strength comes from. You have to strengthen this in order to support your back and then everything else 
follows what that core strength is able to accomplish. They must have a lot of strength. You have a lot of something, Rick. <laughs> and I wouldn't dispute that it's strength. The creative center of our being. So this is the point of procreation. It's also the place of creativity. It's the place of, that where we receive the things of the spirit. And it's where we receive the truth. It's also something that we probably haven't made the connection with is the ma'ah. We, we use the word ma'ah more to speak of that central place within us. But the loins are this ma'ah place. So when it says to gird up the loins, it's saying the place of your, of your spiritual being, the center of your spiritual being, has to be girded. Has to be... Um, and again, it's a getting ready, a being prepared, of um, protecting, preserving, and um, really, I guess, when it talks about girding about, I mean, you are basically, um, well, and think about it, the robes. I mean, this just came to me, and this, I hope this is right. I, someone, can, someone can correct me. But think about when you pick up your, your robes. Well, your robes kind of represent... You know, it's your tunic, but it would represent everything that's around you. It's the thing that covers you. It's, um, so to say to gird up your loins, you're girding those things around you so that the, the, the principal thing that you have to do is not going to be hindered by the things of this world, by your outer covering. But, so it's the, per, the part of the body which is girded. <coughs> And as I said previously, the girding of the loins is a sign of readiness for service or endeavor. So let's, if anybody has any comments, now is a good break time for that. Okay, the first passage we have is Isaiah 11, verse 5. So some of the things I'm going to, detail first are um, just some of the ways that the loins are spoken of in the Old Testament. So we're not necessarily going right in to the girding of the loins, but just to descriptions of the loins. Isaiah 11 5 says, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. In this particular passage, we know that we're talking about Jesus. And I didn't give you the full description that the Old Testament um, that has there in Isaiah. But we see that, that the Lord Jesus has a girdle that's righteousness. And see, these are, it's funny because it says the faithfulness of his reigns. And we might have immediately thought that that was talking about the kidney or the bowels. But it's not. It's another word for um, the loins. I mean, the bowels, I guess we say if the bowels is the maw, then it is the same thing. But, again, this is another word for loins, specifically. Uh, one of these loins just talks about the location of where it is, and the shalots, as we saw, is discussing that uh, strengthening and that equipping for battle. So these are the two attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, just to... To state it plainly, we are to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the place of our ma'ah, 
um, to be girded, because that girdle does speak of the girding with righteousness and faithfulness. That seeking the Lord at his right hand and pursuing that righteous vision. And that being the central thing. What is happening in our spirit is what the central aim of the Father is for each one of us. It's also described in Nahum 2.1 as he dasheth in pieces he that dasheth in pieces is come up before, his, before, before thy face. Keep the munition or guard the stronghold. Watch the way. Lean forward and peer into the distance. Make thy loins strong. Fortify thy power mightily. So in this passage, it describes making your loins this central point of creativity and partnership in the truth, making it strong, hazak. This means to be courageous. This means to be courageous and ready to prevail in battle. It also goes further to talk about hazak, really speaking of the right hand, uh, or the hand, I'm sorry. And we know that that really is indicative of partnership. The aims. Fortify is aims. Fortifying your power. Um, aims is to be stout, strong, steady, and alert. It's often paired with Hazak, and they are utilized to depict the deepness of commitment and devotion to the purpose and purpose of person of the Almighty God. The aims and Hazak really speak of your accepted placement and partnership in your calling that is our greatest empowerment. When you recognize what your calling is, we've heard pastors say this many times, and, and, and we're, we're, we've all been developed and been brought to this place where we all recognize that knowing who we are and what our placement is has become our greatest strength. Because regardless of what's going on around us, we know who we are in Christ. We know who the Father has called us to be. And regardless of the naysayers of our mind or the naysayers of the world, nothing can make us, you know, falter or waver in that positioning. So that is a strong place. These point these are the Old Testament power words that we're talking about. And so the Hazak being in our belly and being fortified with that aims, and then it talks about we're fortifying the co-op. The co-op is really interesting. It actually, and oh my gosh, just think about how the Lord has trained us. I'm telling you, it's, it's really miraculous. But co-op is the ability to endure. We have learned to be able to cope with situations and to have spiritual adaptability. Do you know every little thing that happens can't knock us on our arse? We have to be able to stand in our positioning regardless of what is going on around us. The things that go on around us that actually um, you know, hinder us or disable us in our position is when we fall prey to our own iniquities or our own insecurities and, and the things that we all are trying to overcome in the Lord, right? And these are things that we must overcome and this is 
this girding of the loins, this strengthening the place of, um, of our central being is really talking about um, us standing in the midst of this co-op, receiving that point of strength and, and partnering with you know, what God is doing regardless of what we think about it. Because our mind has to continually be brought into subjection. I mean, can you believe we've been doing this 25 years and you still might get tripped up by something you were tripped up by 20 years ago? I mean, we were all created um, with this iniquity within us and it is a lifetime journey to overcome how that iniquity can cause us to miss the mark. But still, even though we may not act upon the things that we think or feel, now we have to start addressing the things we think or feel because while we may not you know, have an outward demonstration, we still could be shut down internally because of what our mind is dealing with. So fortifying these areas is really important in this hour. And the word uh, miad just means vehement, vehemently. It describes a poker that's raking together the coal. So it's a place of intense heat. So these things that we believe, these things that we carry, and the things that we um, really are trying to bring about are done with, with great passion. Um, they're felt intensely. And while that can be going on, we still have to remain true to what the Spirit is saying and doing. I mean, think about just over the passage of time and the different moments that I know every one of you can recall for yourself when particularly you were challenged and how you may have reacted 20 years ago um, differently than maybe you're reacting today to that same thing. You can tell there has been a fortifying in your spirit you have submitted yourself completely to the will of God. And you, you know, that pathway, that structure, that thing that he's building within us has been this fortifying part. But it's also, um, you know, I can't really describe it because even in a non-spiritual environment, they, they absolutely overload the senses of the SEAL teams that are in training for the very same thing. So that when they see something that's just absolutely whack, they don't lose it. They're absolutely cool under any kind of pressure. They don't, their heart doesn't start beating. They don't start getting worried. They don't feel like running. There's no flight. There's no um, fear and there's no flight. We have to have that same, that same resilience in the times that are coming so that we have, you know, our senses have been overloaded. I feel like our senses have been overloaded in the last 25 years and on purpose, you know, for this very reason. But that strengthening of the Lord's, we're talking about in this passage, the armies of the Lord that are gearing up for battle. That is the way they have to approach it. Job 40, verses 15 through 16. Behold, now Behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Lo, his strength, his co-op, is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. The description of Behemoth 
says that the strength of co-op means that he's able to understand and apply the concepts and principles. He has what this um, word co-op actually means. He can cope with situation. He has spiritual adaptability. Um, he can, um, uh, as a chief of the ways of God, he's capable of orchestrating these ways and concepts upon the earth. And he, he's really opposing sonship. He's opposing um, that walk in co-op, which is um, really uh, a prophetic walk. Because the co-op really, when it, listen, one of the ways that it's used, um, let me think if I remember, he that waiteth upon the Lord will renew the co-op. So when you're spending time with the Lord, that co-op is continually renewed, and that's how you continue to strengthen that that ma'a place or the loins. The right hand of God is also described as being glorious in co-op, so that's that prophetic right hand, that directive but this is our enemy. <clears throat> Isaiah 45.1 uh, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaf gates, and the gate shall not be shut. So I began to kind of shorten, as you can see, and just put M and CH so that I didn't have to type these words out throughout because they were the most prominent words used to describe the loins. And uh, that M is the mothin, which is to be slender, it's the waist or the small of the back. So this passage in Isaiah is really talking about when the Cyrus anointing is released that there's going to be favor with kings. He's going to be opening up the loins of the kings for his message, and he's going to be giving favor. Fruit of the loins, lineage and heritage. Um, I'm not going to go through these, all of these. Well, maybe I will, but I'm not going to talk a whole lot about them. This is just, just shows that, that, um, that the lineage of God and that from Abraham to Christ um, happened through the loins. This is the procreation that we were talking about. In the first two verses were talking about Jacob, um, talking about kings coming out of Jacob's loins. And then in Hebrews, uh, it's talking about the sons of Levi who will receive the office of the priesthood. They come out of the loins of Abraham. So we are that descendant. And then 1 Kings 8 is discussing David um, and that he will um, have Solomon who will build the house of the Lord coming out of his loins. And then in Acts 2, we're discussing David again um, who it says that, uh, he, that the Lord God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So that's just a short discussion on the fruit of the loins um, that we had earlier defined. The girdle, Elijah and John the Baptist. This is really interesting. I'm sure that, that everyone here except for me uh, made this connection. 
Because sometimes you don't actually see something until you put them next to each other or you're studying it. But these two passages talk about Elijah and John the Baptist, and they were very similarly um, donned with, with hair and girdles and such. So for uh, 2 Kings 1.8, and they answered, he was a hairy man, and he was girt with leather about his loins, and that was Elijah the Tishbite. And then John the Baptist in Matthew 3, the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle as well about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. So the one who prepares the way of the Lord is, is dressed in this fashion with a leather girdle and, uh, and being quite hairy. So I just wanted to point that out. That, that's a little freebie. So does anybody have any comments before I move on to the next section? I think Rick's dying to say something. Either Rick or Trish. <laughs> I defer to Trish. Okay. So now we're getting into the um, really part of the meat of what this lesson is all about, and that's the girding of the loins and the different ways that the scripture shows that um, these folks did it and want what they were about to do. <coughs> Exodus 12, 11. This is the Lord's Passover. So when, when they were being given the directive to prepare for the Passover, they said, you're going to eat the Passover with your loins girded, with shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you will eat it fast. It's the Lord's Passover. So while the angel of death was passing over and the blood was upon the lentils, everyone was sitting at the table eating quickly, and they had a staff in one hand, and their loins were girded about, so they were ready to move. And with good reason, because in the night, when Pharaoh saw all of the, the uh, things that were going on and all the, the males were, were dying, are dead. <laughs> they weren't just dying. They were dead. He commanded Moses to take your people and go. And I just thought it was really interesting because this shows the Lord telling the people to get ready because it's happening. This is it. And so again, we show that this really is a sign of being prepared, that your loins are girt and and you're eating. This is crazy to me, just to, to picture everybody in their homes with blood on their lentils. They got their staff and their shoes on. and they're, I mean, it must have been some serious business in there. But quite interesting. Okay, Elijah outruns the chariot. 1 Kings 18, 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah... And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is a fantastic story. We know that Elijah did not do that in his own strength, don't we? He outran the chariot. I don't know how many miles it was. 
I mean, I read how many miles it was, but I can't remember right now how many miles it was. But he ran for several miles. He didn't just run up the street and beat the chariot. It wasn't a sprint. <laughs> running for us, running. And so this is just another example of um, being girded in your loins in order to accomplish something that God was putting before you to accomplish. There was a reason for this moment. And I just think that's really cool. Elisha gives an assignment to anoint Jehu king over Israel. In 2 Kings 9.1, it says, And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up your loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And the next verse says, And to anoint Jehu, Jehu king over Israel. So this, again, you have a particular assignment, and the, before they go, they gird the loins. Now, I recognize that specifically, you know, they literally <laughs> girded the loins. It was the act of, you know, getting their robes tied up. And, but, you know, think about it. It's not that he couldn't have walked with his robes. He wasn't, he wasn't running. He wasn't doing some strenuous activity where his feet would get caught up. He wasn't going into battle. He, you know, so the girding of the loins obviously had a, a greater connotation than just simply, okay, um, put up your robes, folks, and I want you to go do this. Why would you have to tell him that? I mean, that's a, isn't that just a, a no-brainer a no that he, if he needed to gird up his loins, that he would? He wouldn't have to be told to do that. But there's a reason why there's an instruction before he was given this task. In the next passage, Elisha heals um, Gehazi's son. 2 Kings 4.29, it reads, Then Elisha said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go your way. If you meet any man, don't salute him, and if anyone salutes you, don't answer him. And then lay my staff upon the face of the child. So this is the encounter of Elisha with Gehazi and, and, her, and her son. And the son dies. So she goes to him and says, you know, what? Did I ask for any of this? And <laughs> now my son's dead. And he said, well, look, gird up your loins. So women were also um, want to gird up their loins when they were doing household tasks. And so he told her to go to her loins and go do this. And she said, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving your side. And so he actually followed her to the sun. And, of course, he um, was miraculously raised from the dead. But, again, these are two. You look at these as being prophetic directives. So they hold really a great amount of importance <coughs> that they're being instructed to gird up their loins. Um, Yahweh tells Job to gird up his loins in Job 38, 1 through 3. So, you know, Job, Job, I don't know anyone personally, personally, who has encountered the challenges that Job did. I mean, we really cannot relate <coughs> to the loss that Job, that Job experienced. And not just the loss, but the utter humiliation. I mean, he was 
abandoned by God for all intents and purposes. And I do wonder what my own response to that would be. Sometimes when I have a headache, I don't, I don't uh, shout out to God or anything, but I mean, I'm, I'm really ready to die. I mean, I have thoughts of I just wish I was dead right now. And I mean it. <laughs> and so you have moments of weakness when you're going through pain, you're going through something really hard. You may not always wish you wanted to die. What I really say is I just wish someone would cut my head off. I mean, the rest of me would be okay just cut, you know, to cut the top half off. But, but in those moments of real utter pain and migraines can be pretty awful. Um, and I don't like any kind of pain, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I have a pain in my ankle. I'm going to, you know, and not like it. Um, but when your brain is like that, it really affects the way that you think. And you really have a hard time battling discouragement, things like that, because you're, you know, you're, it's, there's so much discomfort. But so just that headache. I mean, I don't have balls on my body, right? I'm not destitute. I haven't just lost my entire family um, and things like that. But still, you think about how he was so, he was so quick to really still lay down that, you know, God is over everything. This is, this is just the way it is. God is sovereign, and that was always the way he looked at his situation. God raised me up. He gave me all this stuff. God took it away. I mean, he knew that. He knew that God did. So um, this is God approaching Job in the midst of all of this. I didn't read the whole thing to find out exactly where in the story it was. But we have Yahweh talking to Job out of the whirlwind. And he says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now your loins like a man. For I will shaal of thee, and you will yadao me. Yada, sorry. You will yada thou me. Isn't that curious? So here is God. He's instigating this shaal moment with Job, which mean God, means that God regards Job as his particular friend, his, someone that he has a relationship with. Now, I don't really understand why it was that God didn't expect Job to shaal back. He said, you're going to yada with me. But yada has an, you know, a, a similar connotation without really the authority being a part of it. It's, it's about being familiar. It's about being with the person that you are, you're having an ongoing dialogue with. But yada also talks about the hand that is lifted. It's lifted in submission. It's li you're yielding yourself in praise and thanks. That's the other element of yada. So maybe God was saying, and, and you're going to yield yourself to me, and we're going to discuss these things together. Of course, what God does is pretty much says, you know, who created the earth? <laughs> that sort of thing. You know, who, you know, who is like me, in, in essence. But this, to me, is a very... Um, cool passage where God is, is asking Job to gird up his loins to have this discussion. This place, this place of our receptivity of, of the things of the Spirit, 
of the truth. It's our strength. It's our creativity. It's where he meets with us. It's where we are known. It's where we know him. It's all of these things. And he's saying, gird that up. And we're going to um, have this discussion. Um, it's also used to describe the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. She's girded her loins with O's, and she's strengthened her arms. So in this passage, O's, which is another of the Old Testament power words, it really is a creative measure of strength. Um, it's really capturing the creative inspiration of wisdom and miraculous direction. It's that point of partnership in what God wants to do, and it's being strengthened in that. So, so women, we're strengthened in O's, our loins are, <laughs> that creative ability. And it's partnering with the strengthening of the outstretched arms. I looked at the word arms, and it's, it really describes the arm being outstretched to sew, which I found that really interesting, the woman being a sewer. Yahweh has all power over the kings. In Job 12, verse, verse 18, Job goes through a litany of things that, that God has power over. So that's all it was. I mean, it was pretty much just stating from Job's perspective all the things that God does, what he's over, what he's capable of doing, and this is just one of them. I mean, he has power over kings. He can loose the bond of kings, and he can gird up their loins with a girdle. I mean, that is God's prerogative, and his, his sovereignty is over even the kings of the earth. Um, in Isaiah 5:27, this is the army that God said he would raise up against Israel if they became a wicked people. And he, of course, described many things that that would entail. But basically it says, this army will not weary or stumble when they're coming after you. They won't slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken, meaning there is nothing that's going to stop them from overtaking you. They are completely going to be dedicated to this task of, you know, bringing you into judgment. I found that really interesting. But that is the way, as warriors, we need to go as we go forward. We can't be weary nor stumble, slumber nor sleep. Our, our, the girdle of our loins cannot be loosed, nor the latchet of our shoes be broken. Yahweh instructs Jeremiah to release judgment against the children of Israel in Jeremiah 1.17. Jeremiah, therefore, gird up your loins and arise and speak unto them, to them all that I command thee, but be, be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. So in this passage we know that Jeremiah's got to bring uh, a word of judgment to the people. And, and God is really uh, encouraging him um, in the face of what he is going to encounter. And, you know, I know that days are coming when 
we're going to encounter that same type of uh, disharmony when we're having to do the bidding of the Lord and prophetically, particularly, you know, having to bring a word of judgment. I mean, you can't let anything anybody's doing or saying keep you from that. You have to release it um, and gird up your loins, you know. Um, gird up your loins and arise is what he says. And don't be dismayed by their faces. So you just Jean, I, I think um, I think that this speaks too of because if if I remember correctly, this is the dialogue that he had with God about I'm so young, and you're wanting me to go before these kings and 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 these nations that are, or whatever the nation and and speak judgment, but I'm so young, and I think so much of this really our responsibility with the Elishas, you know, with the one young ones that are coming up, because so much of this too is a point of maturity. You know, you think about 20 years ago, you know, the emotions were everywhere because we were feeling all of God, and, and it was just like crazy. And so over the course of time, not that those passions have in any way changed, but the whole, like you said, the whole submission of the mind into that place where you're girded up that you don't react. And so I think this really does speak a lot of the prophetic ones that are coming up that we have a responsibility to really press into them the responsibility that they have in that area. Because I know for me, I'm so thankful for the development of it. Because especially when you're dealing with the prophetic and you're in the heart of God and, and everything is, is raw and your first instinct is to re to really respond out of that place of emotion, because so much of your mind is driven by your emotion, right? So I always think about Jeremiah and the fact that he says, "But I'm so young," and God says, "Don't look at their faces. Don't even consider. Don't even consider any of that. You just you just function and speak from that place of your identity in me." And uh, and you know that's something that I just working with the young people that I, I see is is kind of a continuous dialogue with them and in their development because they're going to experience so much um, from the left to the right you know and it's just really important so and I mean you deal with it with your kids it's a hard it's a hard thing to learn but it's absolutely just yeah. imperative. I think I think too that like the in, in conjunction with that you mentioned uh, Job forty about Behemoth and how we we believe that that particular force <coughs> comes against the sons and it has to do with. The, the enemy's teachings, um, his mysteries, or his perception of mysteries. And um, I think that that is one of the reasons this, this enemy strategy right now is hitting so strongly against um, what's believed and hitting, hitting the, the younger well, not just the younger ones, but people that are 
consequential in thought making and um, you know just deconstructing the things that are essential and foundational in, in putting new things in, in its place and uh, taking away the, the bedrock of the scriptures and bringing in lots of other stuff that's from other demonic doctrines. And, and I think that one of the major deals that we as saints face today, as we're not the only champions, but champions of the truth of the Lord and what he's revealing in his mysteries as intercessors, is that this conflict where you see the enemy mobilizing a behemoth structure that would then influence what people believe, that would then it, it, it touch the core of their identity and then uh, probably bring about um, you know, creativity and productivity and birthing. And you, you see the pull of this specially created being and influence um, and how it's now risen up in a grander way in these last days where the essence is thoughts and ideas, tearing down the old ideas, tearing down the, the, the things that are foundational and putting other things in its place and the conflict and the battle. Um, and, and it's interesting that its, it's strength is koach, which would say we're saying that we are God, you know, you know, we, we have the authority of the throne. We are doing this. This is what God is. This is what God really was from the beginning. And so when, when we gird up our loins, whether it's in teaching the young or walking this path, we have to recognize that this is a this is an enemy structure that was originally created by God to enforce what God wants, but now is mobilized to once again say I am like the most high and I, I am doing this so to me that is to me that is the major assignment that when when I particularly am being asked to gird up my loins uh, my strength is still in the Lord my, my strength is still in his word but that's the thing I'm going against. And I, I didn't realize it at the beginning. I, I knew this, but I didn't realize the, the vitality of the enemy strategy the way we have over the past couple of years. And you can just see it meticulously. And, it, and it's hitting the loins. It's hitting, you know, gird up your loins. No, I'd rather have some other ones. You know, I, I don't want to get rid of this. I'm going to grab this. And we've seen that happen. And we, we see it happen now. You say the wrong thing. If you if you are based on the wrong foundational viewpoint, well, you're this and this and this and this and this, and we're going to shame you. And all the enemy trying to attack with the shame business over the, over the years. Well, we recognize that that is his strategy. It's not about people not feeling shame. It's about we're going to shame you. Very interesting. But... The, the girding of the loins. You know, we've talked, how many times have we said, 
And this is a spiritual principle that that people are going to come into this movement. I don't want to call it a movement. People are going to come into the saints, and and they're going to exponentially catch up because I'm telling you, they're not going to have 22 years. And so we need we need we need help from the Lord to know how to impart and how to. We just need help from the Spirit to partner with that exponential grace to catch these, and I could say young ones, but because that, I mean, the next, the coming generation, I believe is gonna take it home. I mean, I just believe there's just such a strong dispensation on them. But as, as the elders, we really need to partner with the Spirit and with the Lord on really knowing how to, to impart that. I mean, that should be one of our our top responsibilities. And in the passage in 2 Kings 9 that was referenced, uh, Elisha told yeah. one of his guys, yeah. you take this oil and you go, don't mess around, you go and you deliver this to Jehu and you anoint him king over Israel. See, who does that? I mean, here he is, Elisha, and this major task that God talked to Elijah about, and, and now Elisha's doing it, but he's not doing it. He's commissioning his one of his guys to take the box of oil and to go and do it. And he even tells him, say, you get in there, if this is what you tell your, your kid. You go in there, you do it, and you get out. <laughs> you don't hang around. And we find the guy do that, and then he flees out. And when Jehu comes back in, and he said, who was this mad fellow? <laughs> who was this mad fellow? And so Jehu says, well, he said thus and thus. And automatically, and all these people, they come and they get up on the, on the stairs and they blow on the trumpets and say, Jehu is king. It's very interesting. The guy went from a mad fellow to somebody that infected all these captains to pronounce this as the king. But that's Elisha. And that's that's what you know what you just referenced about getting these people ready and trusting them. But Elisha's new on the job, and he sends somebody else to do this major task. We don't even know the guy's name. It's an interesting, isn't it? It's interesting too. And sorry, Stacy. It's interesting too because what I see when I when I move with the young people is there's such a free flow of the spirit. I mean, they have this. This, this freedom in the spirit, this it's like we we've labored all these years to break down these walls and they're they're like moving in the fruit of that. And so they're very they their faith and prophetically they're it's just it's it's so refreshing. There's no religion. But to get them to buckle down to the word and to you know I hear regularly, you know I, I, I I'm not disciplined enough in in my reading of the word or in my study or in you know those kinds of things and it's just we just we need the wisdom of the Lord we need the Spirit to help us and and really to yeah and well, that's one of the things that I've really appreciated about my kid is he went through that you know that whole free flow thing and now he's like on the other side where he's like so into learning the scripture that he's trying to find the balance between the freedom of the spirit and the discipline of the, does that make sense? 
It's like there's got to be a bridge that comes together, you know, that's, that's built between the two where they come and they, they move in both. So it's just interesting to see both sides. Yeah, and I, it's funny because uh, when I think about our walk in particular, and it's probably due um, by, because of pastors' pursuit of the word, but, you know, we have become stewards of the word because of that example. And um, that, regardless of those first several years that were so dynamic spiritually, and we were having a lot of, a, a lot of experiences in the spirit, still everything we did was marching along in the word it was absolutely explaining everything that we were doing and anything new that came up it was in the word and we were able to um, always be grounded in what god was doing but it wasn't because of the work that we were doing you know the lord really provided that through pastor and but i think his love for that and whatever god did here i mean we're the communication center so maybe he was raising us up to also be a part of of that but um, we have certainly become stewards of the word because of that training because of our our training and so i would say you know with the ones that are coming up it is it is so critical that they become familiar with the revelation that we've been given and learn how to find that revelation for themselves that point of bible study i mean that's that's where it's got to be but i hadn't really talked about the truth yet because those are the passages that are coming up uh, as we get into the New Testament, under Luke 12:35 is our first verse, where Jesus is instructing his disciples. He says, "Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning, and you yourselves, like men that wait for their Lord when He will return from the wedding, that when He comes and knocks, they may open unto Him immediately." Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself, the Lord, and make them to sit down to meet, and he will come and serve them. So in this passage, Jesus is instructing his disciples about keeping um, their loins girded. I mean, this, you know, when it says, let your loins be girded, it didn't say, and then go, you know, go get a donut, or, or even go... Uh, anoint a king they weren't being given an assignment they were, didn't have some huge task the task itself was to have your loins be girded and to have your lights burning for there to be a fire within that is continually burning and these two terms um, that i'm going to highlight um, that you would open immediately that's theos, and that as we know is the good purpose of the lord and then theos speaking of god to embrace our identity and calling standing on behalf of that calling and receiving that titheme that is imparted to us that's the eutheos that's the opening the door immediately that's that's the only way you're going to be in a position to open that door is if you are a person who has ab absolutely embraced the titheme that god has given you and you're standing on behalf of that in your calling so instruction for warfare ephesians six fourteen. Stand therefore, having your learns, your learns, your learns. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. So we know that this is ensconced in the midst of all of the other attributes that, and in the pieces of armor that we're supposed to be equipped with, right? 
and it's talking about standing in our stemme and that our loins have to be girded with the truth. And we know that the truth is what has been hidden. This is something that we have that has absolutely hallmarked our walk is the pursuit of what is hidden. This is what our loins have been girded with. Every time we receive the word, every time we accept what God is giving by way of the truth, that is a further girding. What we have encased within our loins, and here's the thing that, that's mind-blowing because pastor alluded to this but to be more specific those who came out from our camp who had who were supposed to also be girding their, their loins with this truth but I, I say that maybe some of them weren't actually doing that which is what made them fall prey to what the other truth that's being released is I mean I don't want to name names but you know they weren't in the service when the message was being preached most of the time. Um, and, and then those, of course, that maybe left some, you know, you know, somewhere in the last 20 years, again, the truth itself had become secondary because what became the main thing with them was what their grievance was. So they weren't putting their focus on the truth, what was going on in their loins. They hadn't girded up the loins of their mind for sure because it was absolutely dictating the, what they were believing, what their actions were. And, and obviously by them leaving, that was the evidence of what was going on. But we know that the truth is really that release of the ongoing revelation of God, which is brought about through intercession and commune and, uh, and just that ongoing partnership and relationship that we have with the Father. That is how the truth is not only um, brought to light when it is no longer hidden, and because we know that we're praying mysteries, right, with, with our tongues, that's, that's part of the, the equation. But I believe when we pray in tongues, we're also preparing our loins to receive the truth. That is how the truth is not confusing. Uh, that's, my, that's my take on it. I, re I feel like that God is always preparing me to receive what is coming from the pulpit. And, um, and, and I say that because through the difficult times when the words were challenging and absolutely, you know, just hurt my feelings and, I mean, I was just, you know, broken to bits and a thousand pieces and I could have been just angry and prideful because, you know, really I, you know, I was right. You know, whatever your feelings are whenever the Lord confronts you with, um, a point of chastisement or whatever you want to call the, the pruning and, the, and the, the fire and and the circumcision of the heart. That was a tough season, people. But I know that I was faithful to pray in tongues every day, and I just believe that that was what kept me because I was able to recognize the truth when it was being spoken. And I would say, as much as I don't like this, I know the Lord is telling me something, and I had to submit to it. And so I just found that that point of girding is happening through our intercession. So, you know, another prayer plug. You know, we always need these prayer plugs. But certainly, we'd have to say the intercession in our communion is going to be what girds and strengthens our core, strengthens that the loin area, the creative area. So that is, 
And then, of course, you know, bringing in what Pastor talked about, knowing that in this hour that that truth is actually being maligned by another, you know, other truth. It's always been true, but never so much as it is in this hour. Um, and particularly when we see that our own brethren have fallen prey to it. That, to me, is, you want to talk about, you know, the very elect being deceived coming in your face. Because honestly, I know we, we say that, but we think that there's, we're not going to be deceived. I mean, I know it's possible, but don't you just feel like you're not going to be deceived? I mean, you're in the Word, you're praying, you're all these things. So you really feel like, you know, none of us would have been deceived. I wouldn't have ever thunk it. So it is possible unless you're, you know, really minding the principles that God has been teaching us about uh, girding our loins, about um, really taking care of our spiritual uh, life through continued daily intercession and in the Word. And certainly when pastor speaks and is bringing forth revelation or someone like Monica is giving, I say someone like Monica, you know what I'm saying, she gives a prophetic word, and you have to receive that. It's not, it's not a negotiable moment. I mean, you can actually discount it. You can think, well, this is not for me, but I promise you, anything that you don't eat that's served will, will cause you to be deficient later on. Because what God brings to this house, well, through any of us, even through my own teaching, if any one of you are teaching, if God sees fit to bring a word to, through someone, if you don't receive it, you're not being, uh, you're not being uh, nourished. nourished. That's what I'm looking for. You're not being nourished. And that nourishing is another point of the strengthening. So we have to have everything that, that God brings through his people into the body. And we certainly have to receive the truth that's coming you know, from the leader. Because that, those are our marching orders. And that is how we keep that point of strengthening um, as we, you know, take these steps of faith with that, the light is just right before our feet, not too far ahead. But that's, that's where we stand, and that's how we, that's how we wage our warfare. And, and certainly, you know, a lot of times in the Old Testament, this word is used to depict a particular incident that someone was getting ready to go do. But in the New Testament, it seems to be more open-ended. This is a daily thing. This is something you have to actually maintain all the time. It's not something... Okay, today you're fixing to go teach, so gird up your loins. No. We have to keep that activity and that point of strengthening uh, alive every day. Um, I'm, I'm actually out of time, and I'm, I'm, I'm just now to the passage that is the, um, the, the poignant moment. 1 Peter 1.13, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace of that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So um, I'm, all I'm going to say is we basically touched on this. I mean, the loins of your mind is speaking, in essence, of the activity of your mind, the exercising of your mind with respect to what God is doing in your spirit, in your loins. The loins of your mind is going to have to correlate to that. It's going to have to correlate to creative thinking. It's got to correlate to the way you submit to everything that God is doing to process the things you hear, the things you're experiencing. You know, it's, it's the seed of who we are. So the loins of the mind being girded, we have to accept that as we pursue our purpose, that the one thing that's going to come against it 
has to be a part of the girding, right? I mean, that is the main conduit, conduit of our action. I mean, we are always analyzing things. We're processing, and my mind says, yeah, well, he just said that, and um, yes, I agree with that. That's what you're saying. Everything that is being said, your mind is either agreeing or disagreeing for some reason. And I have heard people teach, even in this very room, when I was like, not that they were heretical, but I was like, eh, you know, or, you know, so my mind, my mind is processing everything that people are teaching because it's my way of assenting or dissenting what I'm hearing. Even when I hear people in the world, if I hear my kids say something, if I hear a person, that I, a neighbor say something, and back in the day when I'd hear my mother say something, because she would say, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to have an argument with her, but all I had to, you know, well, I did say something. I'd go, well, Mother, this is not scriptural, or what you're saying is not scriptural. Because for me, that was the way I had to process an untruth that I had, that I had brought to my loins and girded. And that's what I was walking forward in was that truth. And so when I was encountered with something that I knew wasn't true, I wasn't going to let it go. I wasn't looking for an huh? I said that's true. And so I, you know, and I wasn't looking for an argument or a fight, but I had, you know, and I probably wouldn't have. And sometimes I don't say anything. You know, that was again 15 years ago. That wasn't today. At that point, I felt like I had to actually say that's not the truth, or I don't believe that, in order to protect my own and preserve my own spirit from, from being polluted from something that was not true. Now, I can just in my own self go, you know, that's not right. Or, I, you know, here, well, heck, you hear the news. You go, oh, my gosh, that's not right. Oh, my gosh, that is the enemy. I mean, you, do you not see yourself watching or hearing something, and you're just, in your mind, you're identifying the things that are going on. That's this. That's that. And you're not making judgments on people. It's not like you're going to, you know, take up a banner and start, you know, throw on a firebomb in their window or something. But in your own spirit, you're protecting your own spirit from the things that are true to the things that are not true. I mean, if you read like one of those Catholic books, I mean, I'm sorry, but you'd have to be able to read that and say, that is not true. You know, God is, what? That's okay. I think this, this is such, I mean, the strategy of the enemy is just so, if you're in anywhere, any way aware you can see it against the church in this very way because what's happening is truths are are becoming there's compromise you know there's so much compromise like I even read an article this morning by an apologetist that, that talked about the whole gender he she thing and about how that's the big deal right now is they're trying to to take that out of our vocabulary, the he, she, gender, and it was it was basically a um, a statement saying this is what Scripture says: God created man, God created woman. There is gender, and and yet what's happened is, and the, and it listed like five very well known pastors that are on the front lines right now that are accepting and embracing this watered down untruth as truth but see that's the whole strategy of the enemy and getting the church just diluting truth so much so subtly 
that it it just begins to play the thinking of Christianity. And that, that goes against the Exactly, and so it's happening. It's, it's easily discerned for, well, it doesn't really take a lot of discernment, just common sense from Scripture. So. Well, and until you think about that coupled with some other stratagems, really are addressing um, our individual, my oh, Lord, Dennis. <laughs> it's catching. You started something. No, our individuality. <laughs> well, of course it is. But, he's, but they're trying to keep us from being individuals who have identity and callings to being those that's a collective thing. We, you know, we're all in this together. That is huge. But there's, there's, he is hitting that one thing from so many different fronts. And like we've said, there's so much shaming if you see something else, if you say something else. I mean, uh, it is... It's really frightening the level that it's already come to with society. It has already reached a level of success that has got my attention big time. I, I'm stunned at how easily people are, are falling into line with the rhetoric. And <clears throat> that women would not why would not a woman want to be exactly that? Why would they? Who cares if the man has is is uh, you know in some way uh, better in people's minds because they're a man? No matter you know some people are that way, just like some people are racist or whatever. But when it comes to gender, I just think I don't care what they think about men and women with that regard. I don't. I mean, I've had men that have you know, treated me as if I was not important, but I don't let that define me. I mean, that person is just who he is. He's just doing what he's doing, and I don't care. But when it comes to being a woman, we are created so specially, I would not want to be any other thing. I'm proud to be that and to represent um, what God wants to do through women. But they, they just want us to all be androgynous, to be, to be one. It's not going to create equality, though. <laughs> See, that's, that's the other misconception, is it doesn't create equality by doing that. It creates group, group mentality. That's right. Well, you can see that I didn't get very far. There's you some got really, really far. Huh? You, got, you just had a lot. You got, oh, you got really far. I did, but you can see that sackcloth is mentioned with the loins being girded. But it's also, you wear sackcloth, it doesn't always have to be upon the loins, but that is a, um, uh, an aspect of it. And then there are several things <laughs> regarding uh, when we are being pruned and tested, that our loins are afflicted. Um, and when you have to give a prophetic word, I kept thinking of Monica when I saw this, but Isaiah, it said that uh, his loins were filled with pain, but that word pain is chul. But still, it was like birthing, it wasn't you know, chul, oh boy, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dance in a circle, woohoo! No, chul was painful. And, but that was, he received that vision, he had to deliver this word, and it really gave him some business in his loins. So there's really a lot of interesting things, but I appreciate your comments and your attention, and um, I wanna say a prayer real quick. Father, 
Good Lord. Um, thank you for this time of teaching. Thank you for this word. I pray, God, that you would instruct us in girding our loins and teach us continually about this concept and how we um, can partner with you in it and what we can do to better gird ourselves against the things that are coming. Um, I pray for your anointing upon everyone today who's ministering and that you would, your presence would be in the house with us, meeting with us. Um, we dedicate ourselves to you and to your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.